Hi everyone, welcome to Hubshots episode 236. In this episode, we talk about own, earned and paid media, plus some new Hubspot settings you need to know about. You're listening to Asia Pacific's number one Hubspot-focused podcast, where we discuss Hubspot tips, tricks and strategies for growing your sales, service and marketing results. My name is Ian Jacob from Search and Be Found, and with me is Craig Belly from Zen Systems. How are you, Craig? Yeah, really good. Um, I, I was going to put a news item out about this on Facebook, but unfortunately no one had seen it. <laughs> no, that's right. No one's seeing your news stories, Craig. No, that's right. So that brings us to shot one of the week, which is our growth thought and the Australian government versus Facebook. Yeah, look, I'm not actually going to go through this in the show. I've got plenty of all my thoughts in the show notes about it, covering what's happened. I just feel like everyone's probably across the story. We're recording on Monday, the 22nd. By the time you hear this, listen, it'll be the Friday. So it's almost like a week and a half since it happened. But the thing about the whole Facebook taking news out of it for Australia, I think really highlights this whole idea of don't build your house on rented land. Absolutely, Greg. I could not agree more. And I think we've spoken about this many times, haven't we? We have. We've covered it in the show. And I do want to cover it later in Shot 8. We'll talk about this in more depth and how you should be approaching it in in our opinion. But we couldn't really let it go past without at least acknowledging it in the show. It's a massive story here in Australia, of course. It impacts marketing. So definitely needs to be on your radar. So, Craig, this is a complex issue, right? And you very aptly put five discussion points. I've written a, a big intro into the show notes where I cover this, but I feel as the response to this, there's been five points. I mean, the first is, and, and I want to say three of them, we should just take out a discussion. Exactly. Right? So the first three, I, I, the first one is, oh, the tech companies should pay more tax. Okay. Facebook and Google aren't paying enough tax. Everyone agrees with that. So no one's debating that. So take it aside. Well, except the big tech companies. Of That's course. right. The second one is, oh, the tech companies have too much power. Facebook has too much power. Everyone agrees on that. I, well, except Facebook. So take that out. That's not a dis- like. There's no debate around that. That's yeah. definitely the case. And and in fact, there's there's always. I haven't put this in the points, but a third one could be. Oh, we need to support quality journalism. Yes. yes no one's disagreeing. That's Everyone right. agrees. So just take that out. But then you come to what I've got as the third point is, which is that the government's the Australian government's legislation is flawed. I think everyone agrees. It's yes. a debacle. It's poorly written. It it's just ridiculous. Everyone agrees, except the politicians and a few of the media sites. So take that out, right? Yep. Take them all apart. They're not really this issue. When you bring it down to the issue, the issue is, was Facebook right or wrong to just pull out of the news in exactly. Australia? That's where the discussion should be. However, unfortunately, the fifth is, because Facebook did such a terrible job of pulling out and all this collateral damage, they didn't communicate well, and it was, it's been a debacle, a PR debacle, yes. really. And by the way, that's the fifth point, that the way Facebook implemented is a debacle. Again, no one disagrees on that. Like everyone agrees they did a bad job, right? So it's only the fourth point. Were they right or wrong to pull out a news? I think that's where the discussion should be. That's right. And you rightly said with this whole legislation that they're basically trying to bring in is about media bargaining, isn't it? And so they've come to the table and they've said, yeah, we've entered this negotiation and decided, no, we will withdraw from the news business. Yeah. Exactly. And it's and in quite rightly so, right? Well, I, I think rightly so, because it's around should they be forced to pay for links to news? And we've included a couple of links to various uh, people like Casey Newton and uh, Benedict Evans and yes. others who have given their views, I think, much more thoughtfully and succinctly than I could possibly do on this show. But 
Yeah, I agree. They should. If, if Facebook doesn't want to do that, they don't have to. Now, again, I just want to say the collateral damage and not showing health sites and that, total debacle. So we're not talking about that. We're talking about the actual main issue. Should they be paying to have news on their platform? And no, they can decide not to. They're not, exactly. a, they're not a public utility. They have no requirement to do. They're a business. As you know, Ian, and I've mentioned on the show, I am not a fan of Facebook. I think they are... Well, I don't want to say evil, but they're, they're, you know, we've, we've equated them with cigarettes and cancer and yes. you know, a, a terrible things. So I'm not a fan of Facebook, but I'm on their side on this one. All right, listeners, on to our quick shots of the week. And we've got two for you here. An update to the SEO audit tool to detect pages that have images that could be delayed from loading until they're visible to the user. And what's interesting, we talked about lazy loading last in the last episode, lazy loading images. And there was an interesting stat here. It said that HubSpot noticed last year images made up 35% of typical website resource requests and 46% of overall page weight. And so people that often have slow loading sites is because of poorly optimized images. And so this will help you find that. I expected it to be much higher. What's the other half? Video or what would you expect to be the main weight? I would have actually thought it was images. but I would I have think, thought it would be more. I don't know whether it's to do with all the scripts or page size. I'm not sure, to be oh, honest. Oh, you, you know, you're right. Some of those scripts. Yes. Oh, and that's why they have ad blockers on their news exactly. sites. Because they download megabytes and megabytes that's of exactly scripts. Right. And tra- yeah, absolutely. Yep. That makes sense, yeah. And the other one, listeners, is HubSpot surpassed 100,000 customers and $1 billion in annual recurring revenue and they say it celebrates the companies using its CRM platform to scale. One billion annual recurring revenue. Well done, HubSpot. That's right. I take my hat off. Remember the days when we used to go to inbound, Craig? When, yeah, it was just this little uh, little conference and we'd chat with, you know, those were the days. Yeah, well done. Anyway, well done. And well done to everybody that's made, got them there. All right, on to our HubSpot marketing feature of the week. HubSpot form settings to create duplicate companies. All right. I thought we'd spend the next two shots just talking about some of the settings in HubSpot. And listeners, you might think, oh, wow, thanks for helping me get to sleep. You know, it's, <laughs> um, I was having trouble, but you've solved it. No, but the settings, I think there's some really interesting settings and they don't really announce these. No. I find these by accident. We, we, that's, you're exactly right. We find by accident and now they've helped us by putting a big green new sign beside it. Yeah. This is in forms, as, as Ian said. This is in forms. It's in the settings on forms. I actually feel that the descriptions for these options are confusing. So if you went to this form settings tab and you're going like, what do these mean? We're pulling out one of them initially. There's this new setting which says, always create company for existing domain name. So confusing straight away. And then there's this big warning. It'll create duplicate companies. You think, oh, why would I ever turn that on? Well, first of all, so what we'll do is we'll explain what the setting does. And then second, we'll explain a scenario where it might actually be useful, right? Because Correct. it'd be like, my initial thoughts when I saw this, like, why on earth would anyone ever turn this on? We have to think about it for a while. But I'll explain what it does. Let's say you've already got a company. Let's say it's your company, Ian, search and be found. Ian is uh, he's a contact in there and he's linked to the company search and be found. And so then I go, oh, well, there's another person I know at search and be found. Oh, this is... Um, Mary, I'm going to put Mary in, and oh, she works at Search and Be Found. If I've got this setting on, it's going to create a new company record, another Search and Be Found company. Like, why on earth would I want to do that? 
why don't I just want to link to the main company? And so that's what the setting does. And so you think, well, what, why would you do this? Here's two scenarios. And so actually, do you want to uh, Yeah, so to I'll you? go to the scenario. Let's say we have a company that has, I'll take Australia, for example, has essentially representation in every state and somebody in sales might be dealing with just the people in those states. So it's still one company, but happens to be split across all the states and territories of Australia. Where this becomes useful is that you want to associate deals and contacts to those companies in those states. So that's where you'd want to use that. Particular so it's sort of like one. branches. branches. Exactly, like branches. Another one would be... Well, franchises, franchises. would be the good, uh, the, uh, good example of that as well. Yeah, they're, they're kind of separate franchises. They have the same domain name. Exactly. They have the same company name, but you can create them as separate companies to keep them all contained. These are deals, but also owners of that particular company. That's right. The other thing to remember, listeners, is that you can have parent and child companies. So you can have a main kind of head office company and then have these child franchise companies or branches all linked to the that's parent. Right. So that's that setting. There's another setting. We'll cover it in the show notes. By the way, you can sign up, hubshots.com slash subscribe. They've got this one called always create contact for new email address, right? Yes. Now that's the old cookie setting. And that's again, right. you might go, well, why on earth would you... Not have I explain in the show notes what that actually means because it's confusing and where you should use it. All right, onto our HubSpot sales feature of the week, and this is to do with the deal settings for default deal amount. Have, have you seen this option before? Is this new? I, and I just yes, it, it is new because I've been playing a lot in the settings recently, and I did see it, and I haven't delved too far into it, Craig. So tell us more. All right. So it's, again, this is settings. So yes, listeners, um, if, if you weren't able to get to sleep from talking about form settings, we're talking about deal settings now. And by the way, this is where I think just having an understanding of some of the settings, getting them right, makes a big difference. That's We've exactly We've been into right. portals where they don't have some of these basic settings on. Yes. And just by turning some on, massive difference. Auto associations with contacts, yes. all this, it just saves a ton of time. There's ones like automatically set insights or companies that you just turn it on. It's like, oh, wow, all this power on this. So well worth knowing settings, folks. But this one, set the default deal amount that should represent a deal. And they've got this drop down where you can choose the various options. Cut to the chase. It's when you're creating a deal, is the deal amount based on like the annual recurring revenue? Is it monthly? Is it total value? And this is the problem because when you're adding those product lines, you might have had, oh, it's uh, $2,000 a month. Correct. So then you're like, oh, what do you set the deal amount to? Yes. Should it be $2,000? Yep. Should it be 24000 for the year? You can decide. And I think this is a great addition. I've only just started playing around with it. For us, we like to report on things at a monthly level. So even if we've got a year-long client and it's going to be X thousand a month, we still only report on that first month. So you do monthly recurring revenue. Monthly recurring revenue, yeah. Whereas I know for some bigger corporates, they're really interested in the overall deal size. It affects commissions, all that kind of thing. So your mileage may vary, but this is a setting which I've long wanted, actually. I've been frustrated with some of these. I totally agree with you, Greg. Yeah. So get started on, I've only just started playing on this um, now, and but I think this is great. This is a little thing, Ian. Correct. It's the little things, but makes such a a massive difference. difference. All right, now onto our HubSpot service feature of the week, Craig, and this is another little setting <laughs> that we're talking about. This seems to be the show of settings, Craig, and this is to do in the knowledge base to do with related articles. So essentially, it will appear at the bottom of every article, helping your customer to find answers that they need and relating articles 
based on the article relevancy. And it's just something you've got to toggle and you'll appear there straight after. You know what I would like? I would like to have a standard set of settings, which you could pull in as a template. Because one of our, we do a HubSpot health check. We do a HubSpot ignition for clients when they're, yes. say, getting onboarded. We have a checklist where we go, oh, yeah, turn this on, check, check that, check, check. I'd love to have that as a little template. Correct. A little XML file or something. I'd just go, oh, load settings. And I'd have our standard set up for big big companies. That's I'd have right. a standard set up for SMEs. franchises. And yeah, oh, I should put that in the um, product wish list. That's right. On to our gotcha of the week, Craig. And this I discovered while playing with quotes and line items within HubSpot deals. So I'll give you the scenario that I was doing. I was creating a deal. I was then going directly in and creating a quote, adding my items from the product library, and then sending the quote. Now, if I gave a discount on the quote, what I discovered, the end value did not reflect in the deal value. Oh, so can I check? Are you doing a discount as a line item or discount on the line items? I was giving a discount as a line item. Right. Right? Kind of like tax is a line item. That's exactly right. And then I was like, hang on, this is not lining up. And then what I did was I tested it out by updating the line value items and giving the discount on those. And then I saw a pop-up saying, do you want to update the deal value? And then it worked, and then I could regenerate a quote if, that, if that's what I needed to do. But essentially, you could get caught out really quickly here because I was going through deals and I was thinking, hang on, I'm sure that wasn't that value. And then I had to go check the quote and go, oh, no, it was different value because we gave a discount, like a family and friends discount. And we're like, oh, hang on, what's going on here? So just be aware that this can happen. And there are arguments as to why it should or should happen. But like you rightly say there is an argument that it should remain the way it is. All right. A marketing tip of the week, Craig. The future of Google ads. Yeah, just a few thoughts here. And this is thanks to you because you sent me an excellent presentation by Mike Rhodes talking about Google ads and the future of Google ads. And, well, you and I have both done Google ads for what? I'm going to say more than a decade. We have. A long time. And I feel I'm struggling to stay on top of Google Ads now. And in fact, we've hired a specialist. We have a full-time Google Ads specialist. Have. Yeah, yes. you do as well. It's because I just can't stay in any. Uh, stay up to date, right? I guess I've got the the big the big picture, the big picture, and the themes. But like all the pro- all the product nuances, I'm I I have to admit I've lost. I can't do it now, right? This presentation just showed me how much it's changed, even in the last two years. I'm just like, wow, yeah, Google exactly. Ads is changing. And the key things, and I think this is what we wanted to highlight to listeners, because you're probably working in marketing. You're probably not hands-on with Google Ads yourself, but you are managing maybe people that are looking after Google Ads. It is changing uh, very much from a expertise-based manual bidding approach from maybe a couple of years ago, very tight ad groups, uh, keywords, and you know skags and all that kind of stuff, to very AI, machine learning driven, where you let Google work it out. And I've always been reluctant because I want control. I want to control the bidding and all this kind of thing. But the amount of data that Google has access to that we don't. And in the presentation, he's even talking about some of the things. You know how he says, like, oh, Google takes into account the weather, uh, seasonal adjustments, time of day, like, is it overcast? All these kind of factors based on where the audiences are. He even saying, like, even their screen, like um, Mm. whether they've got light or dark. That's right. Screen contrast, things like that. 
nothing that we could ever hope to no. across. They're doing that on the fly. All of this, along with audience working out, and of course, the main thing though is you need enough data to Correct. feed the machine in order to it. But it's changing, and so even in this interim part where maybe Google makes more mistakes than you know getting it right, but that's where it's headed. And it seems like by the end of this year, it's like just let Google work it out. Google, here's what we want. You you work it out. Even the ads, the type of ads. Exactly. It's like we don't even know the ads people are seeing now because Google with their responsive ads is really just changing headlines, fly on the fly and working Correct. out. I was kind of jolted when I just saw how stuff like, – well, I've kind of always known, you know, yes. they see it leaning, but it's like, no, it's here. Yeah, and, and I think what's interesting is that this probably started a few years ago, but re- one thing that he mentioned was it's actually starting to work now. So – your ability to outpace that machine is getting less and less. And what we understand is that we've got to give it the right input. So one of the really key things that we have discovered is that making sure our tracking's correct. We've got the conversion actions correct. We're tracking those goals like we should, because if you've got the wrong things you're tracking for, the machine's working off that data, right? So if that's incorrect, we're after the we're heading for the wrong result, which then doesn't help the machine optimize itself. I think that's right. So the skill is, as you said, setting it upright and pointing it in the right direction. Correct. And so you still need extreme skill for that. And you also need someone that can look at it and work out whether it's working and it has got enough data. And also, and this is the big problem, this is the the issue I have with um, Google, they have all those recommendations, you know, the suggestions to optimize your campaign. And you look at those and half of them are like terrible suggestions. Yes. So you still need the skill to not apply those, exactly. which we know about, but yet give it enough freedom so that it has enough data for the AI to kick in. All right. On to our insight of the week, Craig. Owned, earned, and paid media and the importance of owning a range of content assets and channels. All right. So this is following on from shot one when we talked about Facebook. Really, the lead up for that at the start of the show was to highlight that the main takeaway that marketers should take from this Facebook thing, never mind the issue of whether Facebook should or shouldn't do it. It's that if you are too reliant on one channel, then you are putting yourself at risk. So you need diversification. You need a portfolio of channels. And there's got to be a balance between not going overboard, as we've chatted in previous episodes. You've got to get your focus down. But you still need enough diversification that you don't get caught. If you're a news site purely relying on Facebook, then last week your business just died. Mm. Like gone. Exactly. Right? So this is a reminder don't build your entire house on rented land, as we've said many times, but to have other channels. And so I, I, I kind of feel that the main channel that people should definitely have is an email list that they're building. That's right. Cleansing and constantly communicating with. Yes. In a relevant way. And then you use all those other channels to build that email list. Oh, you've put it so well, Craig. <laughs> and I think the other thing is, is your, your own website, right? Think about how you utilize that, the content on there and what the intention is when you're building that. Now, you can diversify that again, but building that as your asset, that's something that you're going to keep, right? That's definitely an owned asset. That's right. Yeah. And we've, we won't go into owned, paid and earned in here. I've got a good link in the show notes that talks about it. But yeah, own your website and the content, build that out. And you might think, well, of course we do that. Well, no. There's many businesses that start today where they go, oh, we just have a Facebook page. Exactly. And we use Instagram ads or something like that. Okay, that's great if you're not, you know, your livelihood not depending on it. But 
If it is, you need to diversify. And by the way, the flip side, which is, oh, we just have a website and rely on Google, again, risky. The, the Google algorithm changes, suddenly you're not appearing exactly. at all. So you've got to have this diversification, the portfolio of That's engagement right. channels, but build your email list. Use them all to channel into an email list. All right. We've got a few resources of the week, Craig. And the first one I thought was really interesting was the total number of links pointing to a website is re- irrelevant to Google, says search advocate John Muller. I thought that was rather interesting. I thought it was interesting. I, I saw the headline. I haven't dug into it yet, but it seemed, is there some context around that? Because is, is think, it talking about quality versus quantity? Exactly. Or is that it, is exactly yeah. right. So, you know, the links are still a ranking factor, right? They are. And I think- what it highlights is the importance of having a relevant quality links and not gaming the system with all of these things that people do with SEO. So that's one of the ones. And I put a link into how to learn Google Analytics, the ultimate beginner's guide. And this is from a good friend. Oh, it's Benjamin. That's right. That's I love data. I'm just checking out that link now. Awesome. And I love his stuff. It's just, he just, he's a great teacher and Anyone who wants to learn more and get educated, especially with GA4, so Google Analytics 4, I'd recommend you look at that guide and learn more. Craig, on to our quote of the week. And this is from Anna Quindlin. Nothing important or meaningful or beautiful or interesting or great ever came out of limitations. Oh, sorry, imitations. The thing that is really hard and really amazing is giving up on being perfect and beginning the work of becoming yourself. I love that. Now, there is a, a bonus link, listeners, and this is following on from us talking about NPS surveys. And I thought, this is very funny, Craig. It's via uh, Scott Birkin on Twitter. And it says, you've got to look at, this, look at the screenshot, listeners, but it says, on a scale of one to 10, how likely are you to recommend net promoter score to a friend or colleague? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not going to say what the results are because you should go and have a look at the screenshot yourself. I, just getting serious on this on a minute, I do struggle with NPS as being useful, actually. And that's in, in previous episodes, I've kind of asked you those questions. Correct. This is not from a p- position of knowledge, by the way of me saying, oh, I've looked at it and I, I have concerns about it. This is from a position of ignorance. So I'm like, I just, I just don't get it. And the reason I don't get it is because it's based on my, when I base on my actions, because- it, You, you know, don't give feedback? Well, I give feedback, but sometimes it's just whether I've had my coffee or not. Right. You know, I'm like, oh, I haven't had my coffee. Oh, three. <laughs> you know, and then sometimes, oh, I just want a deal. That's great. Yeah. Oh, what's this? NPR? Oh, yeah, 10. Yeah. You know, it's so based on emotion or right. just- the spur of the moment. Well, that's an interesting, interesting bit of information. And the other thing is about feedback. How quickly you give feedback on something, I think, often determines the strength of it. So if yes. I've had a bad experience and you ask me about it, like straight away, I'm like, oh, terrible, you guys. Are, you know, you're the worst thing ever. Whereas if I just like, oh, later in the day, I've thought about it, I've calmed down. It's like, you know, actually, it's not that bad, you know. So I know personally that I'm so variable. And there's always a danger of assuming you are the norm that everyone else is. And perhaps with enough people that all averages out. Right. But I still think there's an underlying thing around being human. That's hard to represent, especially in a scale, Mm. which by the way, naught to six almost counts as the same thing. Detractor. Yeah, exactly. So what's the difference between going from two to four? Well, nothing on an NPS. And I, I just don't get it. So this is what I'm trying to work through. 
And I guess I raise this because some, you know what will happen? One of our listeners will send me a few links and it'll totally educate me and change my mind. And I'm like, ah, thanks. I understand now. And of course, all the big companies do it. So obviously, you know, smart people are (laughs) implementing this. But I just, you know, I just, I struggle with it. And I'm still getting my head around it. Well, you'll come around, Craig. (laughs) Now, listeners, we have more. Do you want to talk about this last one, Craig? Oh, Malarkey of the Week? No, we're not going to talk about it. That's a bonus for people that get the show notes. Just another ridiculous... I know, I keep getting these too. Yeah, ridiculous <laughs> Malarkey of the Week. It's a scam, really, this whole awards <laughs> scam. Anyway. Yeah, talk about scam. Um, I've got something else someone showed me today about scams, about uh, people giving out these badges for certain things that- or joining associations and getting these badges as the you top know when, when I see marketing companies now and I go to their homepage and they've got all these awards, it actually makes me doubt them. Really? Because I know so many awards yes. are bogus, and I'm just like, unless I recognise, like award, okay, you bought that award, or it's meaningless, or you're one of the three people that entered for that award. You know, oh, you came third. Oh, you well just done. happened to be the only company in that region, and therefore you're the winner. <laughs> That's right. So isn't it terrible? Yeah. That wards that should be kind of credibility signals for me in my jaded marketers hat are kind of like, oh, they're warning signs. <laughs> well, listeners, I hope you enjoyed this show. Again, if you would, we recommend you to sign up for the show notes at hubshots.com slash subscribe. And we will get it delivered to you every Friday in your inbox with lots of good screenshots and resources. Well, Craig, until next time. Catch you later, Ian. Hey there, thanks for listening to this episode of HubShots. To get the latest show notes, HubSpot tips and marketing resources, sign up at HubShots.com. You can also book time with us to help you grow better with HubSpot.